morning. What a blessing it is to be here at LifeBridge this week. This has been really, really good for us, and we appreciate um, the hospitality, the very generous times we've had together. Uh, you guys probably know that you're among the most generous churches in the world, and with especially with missionary guests. I don't know how you are amongst each other, but that... <laughs> But for us, you guys have been great, and we, we are really, really grateful. When it comes down to a commitment Sunday and finishing up a, a world outreach celebration, um, this thing's on, right? I can't tell, so it doesn't matter. If you guys hear me, that's good. If not, I can talk louder. My buddy Spurgeon said, if you don't have a voice that can reach a thousand people, God didn't call you to preach. So, Should we measure your chest? Yes. They... Anyway, First John five fourteen says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We have confidence in our prayers. Not because of what we say or how we say it. We have confidence that He is going to hear us. We are not talking about some sort of religious ritual of little or no consequence when we talk about prayer. In Luke 10, Jesus said to them, the disciples, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay. Prayer is... Prayer, we have confidence in prayer because God is the one who hears us. And then Jesus gives us a prayer request. Now, if Jesus gives us a prayer request, I think we're supposed to pray that, don't you? Uh, this wasn't like an optional thing. He said, I want you to, uh, in another passage, he says, look up, lift up your, your eyes and look and see what's going on. There's, there's a harvest out here. We need more laborers. And here he says, the harvest is great, the laborers are few, therefore pray. Because there's a need for the harvest, you need to pray the Lord of the harvest. This is the Lord of the harvest telling them to pray the Lord of the harvest. Do you get, the, the, get this picture? <laughs> he is God, he is the Lord of the harvest, and he's telling his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. And he will do that in, after a while. And, and guess who the laborers are? It's that group of guys that were standing around him praying that the Lord would send forth laborers. When I think of praying for missions or missionaries or people who have never heard, there's a scene that comes to my mind that assures me that the answer to our prayers will take place. It is a sure thing that that prayer is going to be answered. We can know for sure our prayers for more harvesters will be answered because it says so in the Bible. Look in Revelation chapter 5. We sang this the other day, the other night, sometime this week. Um, look what it says here. The future is revealed in Revelation. Get it? And here we find in chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is, that is in them saying to him, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Verse 9. The prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Our prayers for harvesters will be answered. Our prayers that are in that bowl of incense are going to be answered because there are going to be people before the throne of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So who is obeying that command in Luke 10? I would think that every born-again child of God who takes seriously the Lord's directive, is going to obey that commandment to pray. If you have found forgiveness for your sin and your eternal, you found the eternal life in Jesus, you're going to ask the Lord to send someone to tell other people about this amazing salvation. It's His salvation. Salvation belongs to Him. And we want others to hear about it because we have heard. Now, I, I understand as well as anybody that I'm in a church with a clear vision of responsibility. You guys have figured this out. You've been doing this for a long time. You do a world outreach celebration every year to encourage the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This isn't some kind of a sidelight that you do. Uh, with a little special ministry that, you know, four or five people are involved in. This is something that this church, this is part of who you are. This is a core value. This is why you exist, to be able to, in, to be involved in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And you also know, because of that interest and commitment, you know that the need is great. There's 7.8 billion people inhabiting the planet, many of whom have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Millions of people still live without ever meeting a Christian. And so we need to be faithful, and we need to be generous, and we need to be concerned about sending new missionaries and helping to supply the needs of established missionaries. More churches need to be established on every continent. Christians must learn to boldly share their faith where we are now and with whom we see and, and, and deal with daily. Pastors must be trained, sometimes mentored, always encouraged. But in all of this talk of our responsibility, we need to, we need to understand our, our specific responsibility in, in all these different areas. 
We must all be involved in telling. We all, we all know someone who doesn't know any other Christian. We all, we all live near neighbors that, that, don't, that don't know what church is. They don't know why we, we leave every Sunday at that hour and come back later. And we, they, they don't understand our priorities. We live around people that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to tell them. We need to give. This morning you have that, that beautiful opportunity to make a commitment on a card saying, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to give beyond what I normally give so that we can continue to send out missionaries around the world. You're going to give and you, you, hopefully you'll do it generously and you'll, you'll, you'll fulfill that commitment and you'll be obedient to the Lord. I've never uh, shied away from preaching or teaching or talking about money and, and how God views money and how it affects us. And uh, it's, I've never shied away from it because it's always worked in my life. When I was seven years old, I, I was saved in Chihuahua. Uh, my Sunday school teacher, Alicia Ruiz Garcia, led me to the Lord. I was not saved in English. <laughs> I was saved in Spanish. Um, it was not. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? See? I can help you through that if you need to. <laughs> yeah. Seven years later, I was in Arizona in a missions conference. I was 14 years old. And I said yes to the Lord. The plea went out, who will go and who's willing to serve the Lord? And I was 14 years old. And I realized that God could use me, or I thought maybe he could use me. Uh, some people call that the call. Uh, some people call it volunteering. Uh, it, however, you, it looks good so far. Um, it, <laughs> I, I think God used that mission conference and that speaker and that scripture to put into my life the, na the need for uh, the gospel in other places, and I said yes to the Lord. Seven years later, I married a pastor's daughter who had also done that as a young person, and a few years later, we're in Ecuador. From the time I was 14, maybe before that, but you know, brain cells, as you get older, they, anyway, I was giving faith promise. There wasn't a lot of money. There, there wasn't a lot of money. But I remember when I was 16, I got a, a full, not a full, but a, a real job where they took out FICA. Um, and so I started giving regularly. And I've never regretted that. And I've never gone hungry. I've never, I've never had a problem that, that was financially based that God didn't solve eventually. There, it's not that there's no problems, it, but things, things work when God is first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. The things of life will take care of themselves when you have the right relationship with God. And part of that relationship is actually your giving. Your, the way you handle what God has given you, whether it's time or money or whatever. So, so from that point on... Giving has been part of our lives, and we've never, we've never had a problem. 
when we got married, it got a little tense because now I, I brought my income to the marriage and she brought her income to the marriage. Um, she had a better job than I did. I worked for an Adrian. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of money involved in the service of the Lord. Um, but, but she brought a nice big chunk to the table for a little while. Then she, somehow she got pregnant and um, they, they fired her. And so then it was on my salary. And all this time, we never had one discussion about giving. There was never a problem. There was never a fight. There was never, but what about, and what, no, there wasn't any of that because we both had committed our lives to the Lord early on. And so then that stuff just came naturally. When we talk about going and telling and giving, let's not forget the most important step. 400 years ago, John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. I'll repeat that. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is absolutely fundamental to spiritual progress in our own lives. It's necessary for our family life, it's essential to our ministries, and it's especially necessary in our attempts to fulfill the Great Commission. At some point in your Christian life, in your personal discipleship, prayer will move from your list of obligations and move up to a place of amazing privilege. And it may fall back on the list. Don't ever let it get off the list. If all it is is an obligation to you, keep it there for a while. You will someday understand what an amazing privilege it is to pray. I want to give you five simple statements that will communicate the importance of prayer as an integral part of our worldwide evangelization strategy. Number one, we must pray because of what prayer does to us. Someone asked a Bible teacher, if God knows everything, why must we pray? His reply is, he knows that our great and endless need is himself. So he allows our smaller and lower needs to drive us to him in prayer. We have an endless need of God and prayer supplies that need. Those smaller and lower needs is if you think about it, are all of them. Even those great, big, huge ones in our lives compared to our need of God is a small need. And that need drives us to Him. Prayer is the surrender of the, to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If we as individuals and families and as a church are going to be effective in the fulfillment of the Great Commission, we must spend time with our Lord in prayer. Our will must be aligned with His will. Two, we must pray because of what it will do in the life of our church. One of my favorite biblical narratives on answered prayer is found in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, look at that with me please. Acts chapter 12, 
we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It's a great, great narrative. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. <laughs> Let's be specific, Peter. Um, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what that, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the other brothers, and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. This is a beautiful story. Peter's in trouble. James has been killed. He's next. He's in prison. The church prayed. God answered, and the church doubted. <laughs> but God answered. And prayer brings power to the church and to ministry, and the rest of the New Testament is proof of that. God had a plan. Peter was part of that plan, but the church needed to pray, and they did. And God answered that prayer. Prayer is necessary because what it does in the life of a church You've heard of William Carey, a productive missionary called the father of modern missions. In the early 1800s, Carey was developing a ministry strategy that would revolutionize not only biblical ministry in India, but would also serve as a model for missions for our modern era. During that time, he had a relatively unknown sister named Polly. She was paralyzed and bedridden. She could not move. She prayed for William Carey every day for 52 years. 
from her bed. Prayer is necessary because of what it does for us as a church. Raymond Edmond, for many years, was the president of Wheaton College. But in his early ministry, he was a missionary to Ecuador. While he was in Ecuador, he contracted a terrible disease, and he was so near death that his dear wife dyed her simple wedding dress black in preparation for his funeral. Thousands of miles away and decades before any kind of modern communications, in Boston, a pastor, unaware of Edmund's plight, felt impressed by the Spirit of God to call a prayer meeting on behalf of Edmund. So people gathered together and they prayed. That prayer meeting went on for several hours until it seemed to the pastor that the prayers had been answered. Indeed, they had. They were to compare notes later on. Edmund was healed that very night, and he went on to serve the Lord productively for 40 more years. Missionary work is being done around the world because Christians are praying for their missionaries. Sometimes it's just a name on a list. It's a prayer card. It's a picture. It's a memory. It's a, they were here in your, in your conference. You, had, you, you ate a meal with them or you saw them or you talked to them and you pray for them. You don't know all of the details, but you pray for them and it, it's good for them and it's, it's good for you. It's good for the church. We must pray, number three, because Jesus prayed. In his gospel, Mark tells us as the Lord's Galilean ministry developed that he became under uh, immense pressure with the increasing multitudes. The picture we get in Mark chapter 3 is one of waves of needy people coming to him, all of them demanding attention. And so great was the press of the people that Jesus was in actual physical danger. Mark 3, 9 says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they should crush him. The crush of the people that Jesus was experiencing included those who would worship him, those who wanted to, his healing, but it also included those that were out to hurt him as well the demon-possessed that were howling his name, the cold Pharisees that were watching every move he made. And Jesus did two things when the pressures of life and ministry became overwhelming. Number one, he withdrew to be alone. And number two, he prayed. He spent the night in prayer that night and in communion with the Father. He reaffirmed and he strengthened his commitment to do the will of the Father. And the next day he chose his disciples and his ministry took shape. Think of it this way. If Jesus, the very Son of God and God the Son, needed this, we, his adopted sons and daughters, certainly need to follow his example. We all need that power. We all need that focus in our lives that can only come from prayer. And so as we consider the task of world evangelization, we pause to pray. The church and all of your missionaries need to have his power, his direction, his blessing upon this great task. You've prayed, I hope, and if, even if you've prayed before, you, I hope you'll pray again today. 
before you turn that card in, before you make your commitment, you'll pray on what you're going to give to the missionary ministry of this church. You're going to have that opportunity. Let's pray and let's do it. Can you imagine what would happen if every member of LifeBridge were to be involved in this offering? If everyone was generous and obedient? Let's pray for that. We must pray because of what prayer does to us, what it will do in the life of our church, because Jesus prayed. Four, we must pray because Paul gave us prayer requests. <laughs> in his letters, his epistles to the churches, he gave prayer requests. He gives specific prayer requests. In Colossians 4, 2, continually steadfast Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul prayed for open doors. I, I said this on Wednesday night. This open door that, God, that, that Paul is asking them to pray for, an open door for the word. Uh, today, we can pray for that very same thing for our missionaries, that God would open up the doors. Uh, you've heard all you, you know, if you've been around here a while, you've, you've heard about missionaries having trouble with visas. You've had missionaries have trouble getting where they need to be or staying where they need to stay because of government stuff. We need to pray that God would open doors, open doors to countries, to people groups, to areas of ministry, to opportunities, to the hearts of the people. First Corinthians 16, 9 was written five years before Colossians. It says, a great and effective door was opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul was asking for prayer, for open doors, knowing that if God answers that prayer, that door is going to open, and on the other side of that door, there are going to be adversaries. We're not asking for an easy path here. We're asking for God's will to be accomplished, for the doors to the gospel to be opened, and for the missionary to have the courage to step through that door, regardless of the adversaries that are on the other side. It's so important. There is no such thing. I may be out of line here, but <laughs> um, I'm almost done. There are, there's no such thing as a great servant of God. That's, that's oxymoronic. That's, that's contradictory. If you're a servant, you're a servant. If you're great, you're great. We're not great, are we? We are servants of God. We have different ways of service. Some have a higher profile of service, perhaps. There's no such thing as a great servant of God. That's like, whoa. The great one is, the, is our God. Salvation belongs to him. We are not out here peddling something of our own making. We're not trying to convince people of something we've invented. Salvation is of the Lord. We are servants of his. We go through those doors boldly and trembling because we know there are adversaries. Our first year, maybe our second year, <laughs> our second year in Ecuador, 
Sharon was using a borrowed Toyota Land Cruiser to go to class in the, at the university. Takes, she's taking Spanish classes. On her way home down the mountain road between the city and the, where we were living at the time, a truck, huge truck, hit the Land Cruiser and flipped it over on its side. If there was any way we could have left Ecuador that week, we would have been out of there in a heartbeat. This is nuts. We got these two little kids and we're in this weird place and she's just trying to learn the language so we can communicate and, and somebody knocks her over and messes up the borrowed Jeep and now what are we gonna do? There were adversaries. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. <laughs> how many more open doors? How many more adversaries? Well, we still got to do it. We have to, op we have to pray that God would open up the door for the word. We pray for open doors. We pray for clear communication. Colossians 4.4 4 says, I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Help me to speak clearly. To have maximum impact, we must be able to speak the language of the heart. That's why language learning is so important for missionaries. We, we, it, we have to be able to communicate the gospel at, in the language of the person who's hearing. It also has to do with life and ministry lining up with the message clear communication with my life. Not that my message is clear only, but that my life reflects what my message is saying. There's no room for contradiction and hypocrisy. Clear communication is very important that we pray for our missionaries. Number three is response to the message. Finally, brethren, in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. We want God's word to be effective. And so we pray that his word would have free course, that it would run swiftly, that God's word would travel freely and accomplish its purpose. Uh, we, we have Paul as an example of how that can work. There was a time when he went into the town and he and his friends were treated as gods and they were worshiping them. And just a short time later, they began to stone him. Sometimes there's conversion and sometimes there's opposition. We pray that there will be, uh, God's word would be effective. And in that, we need to understand that not all harvest fields are the same. Not that we don't have the same soil. The reaping tactics differ from one place to another. The seed is the same. The seed is the word of God. The laborers have different personalities and different styles and strategies and missiologies. But the, the seed is the same and the results that we look for is that the word of God would run swiftly. And so we ask for these things. And then uh, the, another request from Paul is that for physical and spiritual protection. Second Thessalonians 3, 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We need to pray for protection for our missionaries. Uh, sometimes it's general. Uh, 
Sometimes you know specifics. We pray for their protection. Much of the world lives in precarious situations, earthquakes and volcanoes and hurricanes and tsunamis. There are natural disasters. There are man-made disasters. There are political upheavals, health hazards, diseases, traffic accidents, drug wars. But the main problem for all missionaries is the wickedness that reigns supreme. We must pray because Paul gave us prayer requests. And number five, we must pray because prayer is primary. Do you realize what had to happen for us to have this amazing privilege of prayer? The veil was rent in twain. The curtain that separated us, separated the children of Israel from the Holy of Holies, from the most holy place, was torn down the middle, top to bottom, during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now, because that curtain was ripped, we have access to the throne of Almighty God. This is not a weird religious practice that we just mumble to ourselves. We're not talking to some fairy in in outer space. We have authorization from heaven to approach God himself. It cost Jesus his life for us to have that privilege. Ephesians chapter 6 has the armor of God and it explains it. And I want you to think of that for a second here as we hone in on the ending here. The Christian warrior stands fully dressed in the armor of God. Everything about him says action. He stands ready. He adjusts his war belt of truth, his breastplate of righteousness. He tightens his shoes of the gospel of peace. He repositions his helmet of salvation. And then he gingerly tests the edge of his sword of the spirit. He tensely draws his shield across his body. And the enemy approaches. The Christian and his enemy stand motionless, breathing heavily. And then the Christian soldier does the most amazing thing. He falls to his knees in deep, profound prayer. Don't worry, there will be action. He will rise and his steel sword will flash. There will be a battle, but all of it will be done in the power of prayer. Because prayer is primary. We will be faithful to God in service. LifeBridge will hear the voice of God. LifeBridge will send out more missionaries around the world. And your missionaries and you and your own Christian life and your own development, your own discipleship will overcome the obstacles of culture and age and language and religion. But first we must pray. In his great sovereignty, our Lord allows some pressures and stress into our lives. And we find ourselves sometimes in situations where the only answer is to pray. 
And so I end as I began. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Our Father, we're thankful this morning for your love to us, and we're thankful for that that curtain that was torn. We can meet with you at any time, in any place. As we hold hands with our spouse, as we gather our young children around us, as we're driving down the freeway, as we're in our jobs, doing our work, in our studies, wherever and whenever we have access to the holy throne of heaven. Help us to pray. Help us to be concerned enough to pray. Help us to care. Help us to love. Help us to tell others. Help us to give generously. Help us to enjoy each other's company. But Father, I pray, I beg you to let us experience the power and the joy of prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.